have Mike and Lisa Dittmore with us. Came down just to hear me preach. Thank you. <laughs> Not a lot happening up there. <laughs> um, and I want to apologize for standing you all up last year. Uh, it was Thursday before Good Friday that um, I tested positive for COVID and had to call Steve and say, I'm sorry, Steve. You guys had a great time anyway. And um, I just want to thank all of you folks who prayed for me. Many of you have been very gracious and asking how I'm doing. And for those of you who didn't pray, I got better anyway. But um, <laughs> without you, so just so you know. Um, this evening, I want us to turn to a passage that takes place just a few days before Good Friday. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. John chapter 12, a great passage right in the center of John's gospel, and it's really a turning point in his gospel as Jesus turns toward the cross. This passage is all about worship. Let's read together, beginning in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Let's pray together. Father, we would worship you tonight as Mary worshiped you. All that we are responding to all that you've revealed yourself to be. There's no greater privilege we have this side of heaven. No greater joy that we have than to offer up worship and praise to you because truly this is what we will be doing for all of eternity. Father, we pray that you bring your spirit upon us, Father that you would visit us here tonight and you would open up our eyes and our ears, Father, to your word. Father, we would be doers and not simply hearers tonight, especially when it comes to this great, great theme of worshiping you, which we've done already this evening. It's such a joy to be with my brothers and sisters, Lord. And Father, to rejoice in the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And Father, to rejoice that for all of us who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our judgment day happened 2,000 years ago on Good Friday. Thank you, Father. Be with us here tonight. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Let me make three statements 
about worship that flow out of this passage. Number one, our worship should correspond to Jesus' worth. Our worship should correspond to Jesus' worth. Number two, the intensity of our affections should correspond to the excellence of his perfections. Amen? Number three, if Jesus is infinitely precious and worthy of the utmost honor and adoration, then our worship should be extravagant. And when you and I worship and serve Jesus with an intensity that corresponds to the infinite value of his person, my brothers and sisters, that's the abundant life that Jesus promised us. It just doesn't get any better than that. Life as it was meant to be lived this side of heaven. And that was Mary. That was Mary. But to be blind to the value and the glory of Christ, to ignore his word, his will, and the gospel that he offers is a wasted life. That is suicidal. And that's Judas. I want us to look at the way these two people responded to Jesus right before he went to the cross. And to look at our own hearts. And uh, ask the Holy Spirit to help us answer this question. Are we more like Mary or are we more like Judas? Jesus is just a week away from the cross. And this final week begins with Jesus in the home of some friends in Bethany. Bethany is right outside of Jerusalem. Matthew and Mark tell us that this dinner was held at the home of a man called Simon the leper. We don't know anything else about Simon, but we do know this. He was not a leper any longer, right? (laughs) Jesus had healed this man, or he wouldn't be having a dinner party at his house. It would have been unlawful for him to be around people at all. And would you really accept an invitation that said, you're cordially invited to the dinner next Saturday evening at the home of Simon the leper. RSVP. P.S. I'm very contagious. Masks required. Um, So Simon's throwing this dinner out of intense gratitude to Jesus for healing him of this horrible disease and bringing him back into human society. And it was especially, though, a thank you dinner to honor Jesus for raising Lazarus from the dead. Try to imagine how Mary and Martha felt toward Jesus for bringing their brother back from the dead. They were already believers. Martha had confessed to Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. But now they're just overflowing of love and gratitude for raising their brother Lazarus from the dead. This was a happy bunch of people. Mary and Martha got what even the disciples at this point didn't seem to get that their friend Jesus had the divine authority to breathe life back into a decaying corpse. That was a sign that was meant to lead to the inescapable conclusion that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And their worship must be worthy of the God-man who could do this. We get so familiar with these stories. Sometimes they, 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 they lose their punch. They lose their impact. We can't imagine what a spectacle this must have been to see this man. He'd been dead for four days. Remember the old King James, by now he stinketh? Yeah. And here he was alive at this dinner party, walking around Bethany. 
believe me, this was explosive news. Everyone in town was talking about this. And now this dinner is being held featuring this man who is alive from the dead and the man who raised him. It really was front page news across the whole country. There were at least 17 people at this dinner party. When you take into account the 12 disciples, you realize you invite Jesus to dinner, you got 12 fishermen coming with them. And um, it was a very bold thing for them to do right under the noses of the Jewish religious leaders. The last verse of chapter 11, verse 57, says, Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, Jesus, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. But these dear friends of Jesus held this dinner for him anyway. They weren't doing it behind closed doors. They were very open about it. Look at chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came also, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, meaning as well as Jesus. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So this was a bold act to put on this dinner. It was bold for Jesus to attend. Simon, Mary, Martha, and the disciples were experiencing the cost of being a follower and friend of Jesus. If you choose to follow Jesus, you're going to be treated like him. So here's the scene. The men are, are lying down around a low table with their elbows on the table, their feet facing out. Lazarus is there, alive and well. By the way, we never hear a word from Lazarus in the Gospels. Interesting. Maybe he was speechless. I don't know. Martha's in the kitchen getting dinner ready. But this time she isn't grumbling about it like she was back in Luke chapter 10. Then she complained when she had to serve dinner for four people. Now she's serving 17 and it's no problem. If Jesus is the resurrection and the life and her Lord, it's all good, right? Now look at verse 3. Mary, therefore, when we ask what the therefore is there for, it's because her brother Lazarus was there, alive from the dead, having dinner with Jesus who raised him. That is why she took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This wasn't some knockoff, copycat, cologne you pick up at Rite Aid. <laughs> this was the real deal. This was expensive. It was extremely valuable perfume from a plant called spikenard that came all the way from India. It was worth 300 denarii. Now, a denarii was what a rural laborer would be paid for a day's work. So if you subtract Sabbaths and other holy days, 300 denarii is a year's salary. Think of Pastor Steve, Pastor Don. We're up and way into the six figures, right? <laughs> Very expensive. It's possible uh, some scholars speculate that it might have been a family heirloom, something that had been passed down for 
for generations. And it could be that the whole family had planned for this moment. Maybe they, maybe they pooled their resources to buy it. Maybe it's something that they already had. But there couldn't be any better reason to bring it out than to worship Jesus. So Mary gets the cue and she brings out an alabaster jar. Now that would have been very valuable itself with a half a liter of this liquid gold. Mark's gospel says that she broke the jar and poured it all out on Jesus. John says she poured it on his feet. Matthew and Mark said she poured it on his head. And Jesus says here that she poured this perfume on his body to prepare him for burial. So apparently she covered Jesus with this perfume. John says that the the house was filled with the fragrance. The Greek word is pleroma. It's it's a word that means something that is pervasive. It's the word used in Ephesians 5:18 for being filled with the spirit. So just try and imagine what it was like in that room. You could have heard a pin drop. You couldn't ignore what was going on the smell of that perfume was almost choking and every eye is on jesus and mary and then mary did something that really raised eyebrows in the room it says that she let down her long hair to wipe the perfume from jesus feet now if you know anything about that society and that culture that just wasn't done that wasn't done by women in that culture it's what a woman did if she was rebellious if she was immoral, a Jewish husband could divorce his wife if she appeared in public with her hair let down, undone. It's what some women in Corinth were doing during the worship service, and Paul said it was inappropriate. And Mary wasn't thinking at all about what was appropriate or inappropriate, was she? To Mary, Jesus was the only one in the room. She was lost in love and adoration. She was totally preoccupied with worshiping him. The intensity of her affections corresponded to the excellence of her perfections. When I was a young Christian Jesus freak, there was one song we used to sing. It said, let's forget about ourselves and magnify the Lord and praise his name. Second line said, let's forget about ourselves and magnify the Lord and praise his name. Third line said, let's forget about ourselves, magnify the Lord and praise his name. That's what worship is all about, right? When you forget about yourself, all you see is Jesus. We could ask ourselves, how often have I been that caught up with offering worship to God? But I want you to notice that there's a stark contrast it's a deliberate contrast between mary and judas look at verse four but judas iscariot one of the disciples he who was about to betray him john adds said why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor and john says he said this not because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put into it Matthew tells us that the other disciples felt the same way as Judas. He was just the spokesman for the other 11. What's she doing? What is she doing? What a waste. There are people going hungry. 
and she wastes this expensive perfume on Jesus? What are they? They're pragmatists, right? They're pragmatists. They measure things by results. What works? What gets things done? They didn't understand the kind of lavish, selfless worship that Mary was offering Jesus. They were way too earthly-minded at this point. And think about this. Think about this. At this point, the 11 other disciples had much more in common with Judas than they did with Mary. Isn't it interesting, though, that Judas knew exactly how much that perfume was worth, right? Down to the penny. But he couldn't comprehend the worth of Jesus at all. He knew the price of everything and the value of nothing. These are the very first recorded words of Judas in the Gospels. Interesting. And they show exactly what kind of a person he was. Critical, materialistic, a liar, and a thief. Well, Jesus rebukes Judas. Verse 7. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Wow, Jesus rebuked Judas in front of everyone in that room. Leave her alone, Judas. Don't corrupt her with your greed and materialism. You're the one whose priorities are backwards. If you really want to help the poor, and the you here is plural. He was speaking to all the disciples. If you really want to help the poor, you're going to have plenty of opportunities for that. But you won't always have me here to worship. Now these words, I mean, they sound shocking to our ears. Is Jesus really setting worship of himself above meeting the needs of the poor? Absolutely. Yes, he is. It's shocking unless we believe that Jesus is more important than anything else. Because all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. My friends, Jesus is more important than poor people because Jesus is more important than people. Well, Judas snapped at that. He snapped. This is the incident, and you can see this in all the gospel accounts, that pushed him over the edge. He'd followed Jesus for three and a half years because he thought that maybe Jesus might actually bring in the kingdom. He could be a rich, powerful ruler in this new kingdom. He could have more wealth than he'd ever dreamed of. And he could tolerate all the spiritual stuff and put up with it if he got his piece of the pie. But now he watches Mary pouring out thousands of dollars worth of perfume on Jesus. And Jesus commends her for that and rebukes him. And he can see the writing on the wall. Jesus is a loser He's going to get himself killed. He doesn't know the value of money. He doesn't know who his real friends are. He's just a heavenly-minded fool. So Judas figures he'd better cut his losses, at least make something off of Jesus. So he sells him out to the Jewish leaders for 30 pieces of silver. Do you see the contrast that John gives us? Mary believes that Jesus is worth tens of thousands of dollars just to worship him. Judas will take a few bucks to have him killed. Well, Jesus praised Mary 
for being so lavish in her affection and worship and for having the spiritual perception to recognize that his death was near just as he'd been telling them all along on several occasions and his disciples still didn't get it, right? It was still going over their heads. They just couldn't grasp it. But this young woman did. She believed Jesus and she might not have the opportunity to take care of his body later on so she did this while she could. She gave the very best that she had for Jesus. The most that she could give. The extravagance of her worship matched his infinite worth. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And Jesus' words are being fulfilled tonight at Christian Family Fellowship. Isn't that something? Wow. We're speaking again of Mary's worship. All over the world, Jesus' followers will know this story of Mary's extravagant worship and that it pleased him. So the question tonight for us, the question I ask myself, which one am I more like, Mary or Judas? Think about it like this. Think about it like this. Would you be more likely to give the most valuable thing that you owned just to worship Christ or would you be more likely to criticize someone else who did that? Think about this. How would you feel if um, someone in this church, now I don't know what's going on in the church finances, finances and the budget, maybe some goals that you have for the church, maybe some things you'd like to purchase, ministries you'd like to be involved in. Someone comes up after a service one Sunday and says, I was so touched, I was so moved by the service. I want you to, I want you to know i want the elders to know i want to spend several thousand dollars to buy a gold and crystal communion service and a fancy cloth for the communion table that you'll only use once a month <coughs> well uh, <coughs> would you think what a waste of money we could use that money for missions for outreach for orphans in uganda or would you think our god is worthy of such lavish worship hmm from what we read here, one is like Judas, the other is like Mary. We're to value the things of God more than anything else on this earth. Jesus told two parables about the heart of a kingdom citizen, a person who's been touched by the grace of God. Listen as I read Matthew 13, 44 through 46. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus was describing the heart of his true followers. Their hearts have been so changed that all the price tags in their lives have been switched, changed. Their lives are different now. Peace with God is so precious. Heaven is so glorious. Jesus is so lovely. They will give all they own to possess. Jesus is their treasure. Can you say that? Didn't Jesus say this? So then none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions and he turned away that rich young man who couldn't let go of his stuff for jesus 
Listen to these words of Paul. Ask yourself if they mirror your own heart. Philippians 3, 7 and 8. But whatever, whatever things were gained to me were in the asset column. Those very things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Mary had that heart for Jesus and Judas did not. Mary wanted to give as much as she could to Jesus. Judas wanted to get as much as he could from Jesus. Mary desired to worship Jesus. Judas just wanted to use Jesus for his own selfish goals. How do you get to be like Judas? Well, you think of God in terms of what he can do for you. God, what can you do for me? Pretty soon you're thinking of God in terms of what he owes you. The meaning of life is your own personal happiness, right? Right? God exists, if God exists, it's to help you find that happiness. How many people on the street would say, well, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. That's what God exists for. So he'd better come through. I'm always amazed when I, I go to some Christian book sites online and I see how many books there are in the Christian self-help section. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? Christian self-help? Well, we know that God helps those who help themselves, right? No, God helped those who help themselves. Here you find the books on how to make God work for you, how to get God to give you what he owes you, a happy life, healthy body, good job, fulfilling marriage, well-behaved kids, etc., and a fulfilling relationship with God can be found here too in three easy steps. God, what can you do for me? How many of you have seen the ads on TV? It's a new Jesus campaign called He Gets Us. Have you seen those ads? He Gets Us. Those are well done, aren't they? They are slick. It's a series of videos. Jesus knows what it's like to be lonely. Jesus knows what it's like to be poor. Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood. Jesus knows what it's like to have a teenage mom. They're very well done. And the whole theme is Jesus gets us. That's good. That's good. Jesus gets us. But they leave out the fact that Jesus is God. And if Jesus is God, then we need to get Jesus. You see, this can feed a Judas heart. And a Judas heart shows itself when God doesn't come through with the happy life, the healthy body, the great marriage or model kids. A bitter, resentful attitude toward God is the next step. And then you see these people hold their commitment or their money or their service or even their faith hostage because of the way God has treated them. Have you ever seen that? Be very careful when you find a critical, a critical, grumbling, complaining spirit in yourself. Discontentment is a direct shot at God. It's a slap in his face. 
And it's a clear signal that you feel that God isn't giving you what he owes you. He's cheated you. And it's a short step from there to shaking your fist at God and deconstructing your faith. But how can you be like Mary? How can you be like Mary? Number one, treasure Jesus. Mary treasured Jesus. She'd found her pearl of great price, right? She would say about him, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. But that didn't happen by accident. That was intentional, not accidental for Mary. Mary intentionally cultivated her love for Jesus. What we know of about Mary in the New Testament mostly comes from three events. At each of these three events, we find Mary at the feet of Jesus. In Luke 10, she's listening and learning at Jesus' feet. In, Luke, in John 11, she's crying and pleading at Jesus' feet. And here in John 12, she's worshiping again at Jesus' feet. I'll tell you, the time she spent at Jesus' feet transformed her. How much time do you spend at the feet of Jesus doing these three things, listening and learning, crying and pleading, and worshiping. There are no shortcuts to knowing Jesus better. There are no easy steps. It takes discipline. It takes sacrifice. It takes time that you could give to other things. But Jesus promised that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. That's a promise. The uncomfortable truth is you might not be as close to Christ as you would like to be, but you're as close to Christ as you really want to be. The fuel for worship is to meditate. Boy, that's a hard word in these days, isn't it? We have such short attention spans. I do. Oh, my goodness. It's hard to read a long article or something. We want everything in bits and bites and snatches and tweets and Twitters and stuff like that. But the fuel for worship is to meditate, to stop and think and ponder on the precious worth of Christ, to fix your gaze on his blinding pre-incarnate glory, the glory that Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. That was Christ. That was Christ. To think of the supernatural glory of his virgin birth, the glory of his incarnation, perfect God and perfect man in one person, the glory of his humble, obedient life, the glory in his miracles and the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory of his death on the cross, his resurrection, the glory of his present heavenly intercession for his people, how he reigns over his church, and the glory that we will see, every eye will see at his second coming. Let your worship correspond to his worth, let the intensity of your affections rise to the level of his infinite perfections. I want to give you a treat tonight. Let me give you some fuel for extravagant worship from Jonathan Edwards. And this was from a sermon he did called The Excellency of Christ. What is there that you can desire should be in a Savior that is not in Christ? Or wherein should you desire a Savior that would be otherwise than Christ is? What excellency is there wanting? 
What is there that is great or good? What is there that is venerable or winning? What is there that is adorable or endearing? Or what can you think of that would be encouraging, which is not to be found in the person of Christ? Would you have your Savior to be great and honorable because you're not willing to be beholden to a lowly person? And is not Christ a person honorable enough to be worthy that you should be dependent on him? Is he not a person high enough to be appointed to so honorable a work as your salvation? Would you not only have a Savior of high degree, but would you have him, notwithstanding his exaltation and dignity, to be made also of low degree, that he might have experience of afflictions and trials, that he might learn by the things that he suffered to pity them that suffer and are tempted. And has not Christ been made low enough for you? Has he not suffered enough for you? Would you not only have him possess experience of the afflictions you now suffer, but also of that amazing wrath that you fear hereafter, that he may know how to pity those who are in danger and afraid of it? This Christ has had experience of, which experience gave him a greater sense of it a thousand times more than you have or any living man has would you have your savior to be one who's near to god that so his mediation might prevail with him and can you desire him to be nearer to god than christ is who is his only begotten son of the same essence with the father and would you not only have him near to god but also near to you that you may have free access to him and would you have him nearer to you than to be in the same nature, united to you by a spiritual union so close as to be fitly represented by the union of the wife to the husband, of the branch to the vine, of the member to the head, yea, so as to be one spirit. For so he will be united to you if you accept him. Would you have a Savior that has given some great and extraordinary testimony of mercy and love to sinners by something that he's done as well as by what he says? And can you think or conceive of greater things that Christ has done? Was it not a great thing for him who was God to take upon him human nature, to be not only God, but man, thenceforward to all eternity? But would you look upon suffering for sinners to be a yet greater testimony of love to sinners than merely doing, though it be ever so extraordinary a thing that he has done? And would you desire that a Savior should suffer more than Christ has suffered for sinners? What is there wanting? Or what would you add if you could to make him more fit to be your Savior? My favorite songs. I think it was just written a couple, three years ago. Is he worthy? Have you heard that? He is worthy. There's something else Mary did that gave her this drive to worship Jesus so extravagantly. She gave to him lavishly. If you want to be like Mary, treasure Jesus and then give to Jesus lavishly without thought of return. And this spawned even more love for her Lord, because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your heart follows your treasure. Judas was a man of this world. And to the world, worship is a colossal waste of time. Waste of time. 
doesn't accomplish anything. Doesn't feed the poor, doesn't help the needy. And isn't that what you Christians are supposed to be all about? After all, religion is about helping people. Well, that might be what religion's all about. The truth is, we really aren't worshiping God. Now listen, we really are not worshiping God if we have any goal other than expressing lavish love and adoration toward the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If we are trying to accomplish anything else, like attract more people to our church or get a spiritual high for ourselves, then we're using God. We're not worshiping God. Someone said this. This is powerful. Worship is idolatry unless it's a total waste of time in earthly terms. A total immersion in the eternity of God's infinite splendor for the sole purpose of honoring God. That's true. That's true. Worship is not a means to anything else. Worship is an end in itself. And the world will never understand this. And they see people gathering together on a perfectly good Friday night to sing some lame old songs and listen to an old book and some nerdy guy up there. They want a waste of time, you know? Hmm. Worship is an end in itself. The entire reason for our worship is that God deserves it. That's why Mary wasn't wasting thousands of dollars for, by pouring out that perfume on Jesus. To Judas in the world she was, but not to Jesus. Because he's worthy of all that we are responding to all that he is. I'll never forget. I visited a, um, I won't name the church, but it was a mega church in Houston, Texas. I was there for a pastor's conference years ago. You walk into this church, the first thing you see in a lobby is a three-story waterfall. Middletown Bible Church, there's only two stories, not three stories. No, folks, we don't even have a bowl with a goldfish in it at our church. <laughs> you walk into this three-story waterfall on the inside of the church. <laughs> Amazing. Three different restaurants in the church. There was an indoor track. There was a jacuzzi half the size of this room. A complete health club. A three-lane bowling alley. I was disappointed. I hadn't brought along any workout clothes, which was no problem because they had a sporting goods store in the church. I was getting a guided tour. Uh, of this massive complex along with some other pastors and we're trailing along and uh, one pastor timidly asked the guide well isn't this a bit much and this little texan gal just spun around on her high heels and she said sir we believe that our god deserves the best shut him up <laughs> one of the men from our church uh, is a master woodworker i mean a master a few years ago he gave a gift to our church of a cross that hangs on the wall behind me when i preach and a pulpit with a matching cross it took him dozens of hours it's made of several different kinds of expensive woods mostly native black walnut from lake county all sorts of artistic features there's a story behind everything on the pulpit the cross what he made was a masterpiece steve 
has preached from this pulpit. Pastor Don's going to preach from that pulpit. Let me tell you, I don't need a pulpit that beautiful to preach from. I've preached from music stands. <laughs> I've preached on a little rickety wooden pulpit on the dirt in Uganda. Uh, TV trays. I've, I've preached from John MacArthur's pulpit that goes up and down. Kind of cool. I'm not worthy of preaching from any of them, but our God and his word are worthy of such beauty and excellence and craftsmanship. Amen? Amen. Amen. I know in our flesh we can excuse self-indulgence by calling it worship, but don't you think it's much more true that our hearts, our voices, our attention, and our obedience to the word and our giving don't begin to correspond with how much we say we love God. In general, we're far too stingy. We should be lavish, extravagant, body and soul, maybe to the point where others think we're going too far like they did with Mary. Uh, like they did with David. Remember? Him leaping and dancing before the Lord when they brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And his wife, Michael, was looking out of the window, watching this happen. She was disgusted with her husband, David, said he's making a fool out of himself. He's undignified, she said. David said, I'm dancing before the Lord, not you. I'll be even more undignified than this. You just keep watching. To honor my God. And David's wife was barren from that day on. Apparently God approved of David's extravagant worship. Let unbelievers and even other Christians accuse us of being weird or overboard in our worship. Let them never accuse us of being lukewarm. Yeah. Right? I really can't think of any place in Scripture where the Lord tells his people, now calm down, you're getting a little bit overexcited. <laughs> no. Jesus commended that poor widow in Luke 21, 3 and 4. I like the way the message paraphrases it. This widow has given by far the largest offering today. All these others made offerings that they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. Hmm. Matthew 2, 11, When the Magi saw the baby Jesus, they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, lavish, expensive Worship. And in the very last psalm, how are God's people instructed to worship him? Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Why? Because he deserves it. All our heart, soul, mind, strength. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and let all that is within me. Bless his holy name. At the top of our bulletin every Sunday says this. Worship is all that we are. Responding to all that he is. So let me say this again. Our worship should correspond to his worth. 
the intensity of our affections should correspond to the excellence of his perfections. So if Jesus is infinitely precious and worthy of the utmost honor and adoration, then our worship should be extravagant. Mary loved Jesus and gave him her greatest treasure. And that's where Mary's heart was with Jesus. You say, I want to love Jesus so much that I would give to him like that. Then give to him like that, and you'll love him that much. Let's pray. Father, thank you for an evening tonight to be reminded of the excellence of your perfections. And Father, to be reminded of the precious worth, the precious value of our Lord Jesus Christ. You gave your greatest gift to us. You so loved the world that you gave us your only son. Heaven's best for earth's worst. Father, how we love you. How we love our Lord Jesus, Father. Give us hearts like Mary's to, to worship you lavishly, extravagantly. Though we, we, we wouldn't hold back our money, our time, our, our treasures, our voices, Father. Our attention, our obedience, our service, Father. That we would worship you with all that we are because of all that you are for us. Thank you for this evening to express just a portion of our great love for you. Pray it in Jesus' name.